Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. And I'm so happy that you are here this morning. It is so good. And you know, week by week, y'all have showed up more and more. And it is so good to see you. Maybe you're connecting with us digitally this morning. We are so grateful to connect with you today and be able to worship the Lord together. I want to say just a quick happy Father's Day to each and every one of you um, who are dads in the house. In fact, I just wrote this out. I thought, man, here is to all the dad fails, the dad jokes, the dad bods, which I have three of, dad sayings, dad's corniness, dad's craziness, dad's frustrations, And dads love. You know what's amazing? You can't have all these dad moments if as a dad you're not there. And so I just want to say a quick thanks to all the dads who are there for your kids who have been as you grew up. And you know what? Here's the more. Dad fails and dad jokes and dad sings and dad's corniness and dad's craziness and dad's frustrations and and dad's love. Happy Father's Day to you. I want to say this, ask a question real quick this morning. What was your favorite subject? What's up, man? How are you? Dude, you're skinny. You are skinny. You've lost a lot of weight. Man, that's good to see you. Hey, let me, what is your favorite? Sorry about that. That was an awkward man moment there. What you said, um, what's your favorite subject in school? Now, now for some of y'all, y'all liked English and I never understood that, right? You, you loved it. Um, for some of you guys, like me, history and science, social studies, I love those core subjects. Now, some of y'all were art people. I wasn't much that kind of person. Uh, my favorite subject above all was lunch at school. I loved lunch and PE. Uh, but there's some of you out there, and you know who you are. Your favorite subject was math. Who are you? Would you just raise your hand? Security, would you escort them out? Hey, in an outraged culture, I'm offended. I can't stand math. Cancel culture. I'm canceling math. Listen, I, I just, I can't do it. I can't do math. I mean, it was so hard for me. I, I think of the day when I learned that all of a sudden it wasn't just numbers, but in algebra, they started adding the alphabet to math. Man, how frustrating. Or, or the day that I realized in geometry that you could add shapes to numbers and the alphabet and do more math, and I just couldn't stand it. For all the 90s kids out there, I remember a phrase, please excuse my dear Aunt Sally, and I still have no idea what that means to this day. Man, I just didn't do well at math. Some of y'all, that's where you excelled. But you know what's amazing? This morning, I'm going to swallow some pride. I'm going to use a little math to help us solve a problem that we see come up in the book of Philippians that Paul is facing. And so here's what we're going to do. You ready? This morning, we are going to look at two equations that equal to unity in the body of Christ and in the life and relationships of all believers. Now, when I look at the New Testament, there are some equations that work for the church and some that don't. You know what is clear as I read the New Testament? That God does not deal with His church in division. Rather, God deals with His church in multiplication. And that is, that is clear. Math works that way. But you know what? I think a division, especially in the life of the church, 
And division always leads to disunity. Whereas unity in the body of Christ always leads to multiplication. Math just works. So as we look at these two equations this morning, two equations that equal to unity, not only in church life, but in every relationship that you and I have. I want us to turn to Philippians chapter 2. Hey, by the way, eight weeks in, we're in Philippians chapter 2. Isn't that exciting stuff? So take your Bibles. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 2 together. And as you turn there, remember our pursuit in this study of the book of Philippians, this letter Paul writes to the church at Philippi, our pursuit has really not been happy. That feeling, that perception of happy. Because here's what we've known. You ready? Our pursuit is Jesus where our joy Lies, Because here's what we're convinced of. You ready? That when Jesus is our greatest joy, when Jesus is at the center of our joy, you and I are the happiest that we can be in this life because our joy is not confined to our circumstances when Jesus is at the center of our joy. Now, in Philippians chapter 2, and this is unfortunate here that there's a chapter break. Hey, by the way, when God inspired His Word, there weren't chapters and verses, right? It wasn't until the 1500s that we got our first English Bible that had chapters and verses in them. Incredible tool to study with and to navigate the Scriptures, but unfortunately here in Philippians, we go into chapter 2 thinking there's a break of thought, and there really isn't. Because we are continuing this conversation of what it is for a believer to live their lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul continues with that very same thought here in Philippians chapter 2. What is it for you and I to live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel? You know what it means? You right, church? It means pursuing, prioritizing, and pushing For unity. Let me tell you what God is interested in from His church. You ready? He is interested in unity, not division, togetherness, not hatefulness, selflessness, not selfishness, fighting against the enemy and not fighting against one another. You see, protecting and fighting for unity within the body of Christ, church, hear me, is a labor of love and the call of every believer. And Paul illustrates here in Philippians chapter 2, he illustrates for us that unity is of immeasurable importance to the impact of believers in the church at Philippi. Now, Paul knew very well what it was to see old disunity rear its ugly head. In fact, what we've already studied together in Philippians chapter 1, verse 15 through 18, we've already studied that Paul knew those in Rome where he was in prison and those back in Philippi, that there were those who were seeking to divide the church. He also knew that there was disunity in the church at Philippi to some extent as Epaphroditus would go and visit Paul in prison, give him a financial gift from the Philippian church, and not only did Epaphroditus convey to Paul how God was moving, he also let Paul in on the fact that there was some disunity in the life of the church. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, we find that there are false teachers who are trying to infiltrate the Philippian church with a gospel other than that of Jesus Christ. Disunity at its best. We also find out that there's, there's two ladies in the church who done been fussing one with another. 
Now, Paul doesn't let us in on all the juicy details, right, of what this fuss is all over. I can imagine in our context, you know, fussing about the temperature of the sanctuary might have been on the top of the list or how loud the music was or probably more so the long-windedness of the preacher, right? I can imagine all the things there is to fuss about. But disunity was threatening the relationship between two of the ladies at the Philippian church. Now, now hear me, church, you ready? Disunity is a constant threat and tool the enemy uses, to, as John 10, 10 says, to kill, to steal, and destroy the joy that we have in Christ. But hey, not just in the church, but in our relationships, our friendships, our families, our marriages, our workplaces, our school, on the ball team. Disunity is found everywhere. This passage today, Philippians chapter 2, speaks into every type of relationship that you and I have in this life. And we find that Paul really in Philippians employs two formulas that both equal to unity. You ready? Here's the first one. Forgive my handwriting and my drawings here in just a little bit, okay? Here's the first equation that we find. You ready? That Jesus is greater than me. And you know what? This equation always equals unity. In fact, if you read Philippians chapter 1 again, you're going to find that the entire thrust of Philippians chapter 1 is very much this equation playing out in Paul's life. That Jesus is greater than me. Philippians 1.21 For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul would write. Jesus is greater than me. You ready, church? Maximizing unity means minimizing us and making much of Jesus. So in your Bibles, let's go to Philippians chapter 2 together. And let's read just for a moment as Paul continues to write, in the vein of how is it that you and I live lives in a manner worthy of the gospel? And he says this, for I want you to know how great a struggle, he says. And let me actually go to Philippians and not Colossians. It flipped over there real quick. I thought, good Lord, did I study the wrong message? Here we go. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, Paul says to the church, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, being one in spirit, and by having the very same Mind. Now, in the English language, we kind of get a little a bit of a disservice here. That word if, in our language, requires really a lot of questioning and doubt, doesn't it? Like, if you really love me, we're questioning your love for me, right? Uh, not so in, in the Greek language, in the word that's used here for if. In fact, the word if conveys in this context confidence and certainty, and in fact could be better translated, since, since you have encouragement, since there is comfort, since there is love, since there is sharing. You ready? Paul is not asking a question here in Philippians chapter 2. He is making a statement. In light of all we have in Jesus, the unity we share with him, surely you and I can labor for unity one. 
with another. I'm reminded of John chapter 3, verse 30. As John the Baptist sees Jesus and understands the fullness that Jesus is God in the flesh, you know what John says? You ready? It's this equation. He must become greater. I must become less. Jesus must become greater. And I must become less. You ready? This equation, Jesus greater than me, works every time in our pursuit of unity. Now, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul highlights the motivations, the highest of motivations for such unity. You ready? Our motivation, as he writes in scriptures, is that we are united in Christ by faith, that we find comfort in his love, that we are one as we share in his Holy Spirit. And as a result, he writes, we have a tenderness and a compassion available towards us that we can show for one another, not tension and competition. We have all we need as believers to bring about unity. He says, being like minded. You ready? That means we are one in our beliefs and we are one in building his kingdom. Now, catch me, not our own kingdom. We have the same mind. We all have what we need to have the same love because of this truth. You ready? We are one in the one who we love most and in the one who loves us the most, Jesus. We have all we need, Paul writes, to be one in spirit and in mind. You ready? We are one in the family of God through the Holy Spirit of God that lives in us and through us. You know what Paul's saying to the church here? Hey, guys. Let's get on the same page. He goes and says this, you know what? We ought to have the same purpose. We ought to have the same passion. And that is Christ and his kingdom. That Jesus is greater than me in my life. It always equals unity. Now, I love how one commentator summed this up, how he stated it. Paul was calling the church to Unity, not uniformity. And you got to hear me, there is a big difference. Unity comes from within the heart of a believer with whom Christ is first and foremost, and the interest and the love of others is next. You know, unity is impressed on every believer's heart by the Holy Spirit. Uniformity, however, comes from outside pressure. It is imposed, and it never leads to true unity in the body of Christ, and matter of fact, not in any relationship that you and I have. Uniformity is forcing, it says this, you better do this or else. Uniformity demonizes those that disagree. It divides those that dare to have differences. Whereas unity, unity moves us forward despite our differences, despite our disagreements. Why? Because you and I have the main thing in common. And that is that Jesus is greater than me. He's greater than any of my disagreements. He's greater than any of my 
differences. The main thing you and I have in common is that Jesus matters the most in our lives. Hear me, believer. Are you ready? Fight against uniformity. But by all means, fight for unity. And we do that through the equation that Jesus is greater than me. Can I teach you something about our relationships? Let me find where I put my pen. There it is. Tell you what I found to be true. I'm 38 years old. My wife cut my hair the other day, and she informed me that on the side of my head, all my hair is white. Somehow my daughters are convinced if you have gray hair, you're going to die. This has been a troubling time in our family. Um, But I'm 38 years old, and here's what I've learned in my life. You ready? There's two types of relationships. You ready? And here's me at the center of both. This is the vertical relationship that we have with Christ, our vertical relationship. Every time this vertical relationship is off, I'm not walking with him, I'm not talking with him. Every one of these horizontal relationships are off as well. And and you know what these horizontal relationships are made up with, right? This is with my wife, my, my kids, my staff here, my, my co-workers, my friendships. Every time my horizontal, this vertical relationship with Jesus is off, all my horizontal relationships are off too. Because you know what happens sometimes in Anthony's life? Is sometimes me becomes greater than Jesus. And you know what it does? It absolutely messes everything up. It messes all my relationships up. But I know this to be true. When Jesus is greater than me, the relationships I have with my wife and my kids and my friends and my staff, man, they click. Unity is to be had and celebrated. Jesus must be greater than me. I think this is the only slide I have today. I'll try not to mess this up. I do every Sunday. Um, Y'all ever heard of the giant sequoia trees out west? Man, just anybody ever seen those? I've never seen them. Okay, a couple of you guys. So cool. So jealous. I, I really want to see these. You know what's amazing about these trees? I, I studied them a little bit, and here's some pictures of some of the giant sequoias. Um, they can grow over 350 feet tall. They can weigh over 2 million pounds. I mean, just incredible trees. You know, you'd think about these trees and you would think, you know what? I bet you their root systems go deep into the ground. It's not so. Their root system only goes a few feet in the ground compared to the hundreds of feet above ground. You want to know how sequoia trees, these massive trees stand? Because their root systems intertwine with one another. And their strength is found by existing in groves. In fact, you'll you'll never go out to a meadow and just find a sequoia tree standing by itself because it cannot. No sequoia tree can stand alone because the only way it's strong and it's powerful and it is big 
if it's connected with other trees. You know, I got to thinking, isn't that true about us? The only way that those trees stand and thrive and survive is that they grow together. And isn't that exactly the picture that Paul paints here for the church and our relationships? That's the only way we stand, the only way we thrive, the only way we survive is by being connected together. You know what that leads us to? Our second equation that we find here in Philippians chapter 2. And that is this, you ready? We is greater than just me. We is greater than me. And hey, by the way, you know what this always equals out to? Unity. Now Paul, we find, gets to the heart of the problem here in Philippians chapter 2. And you know what that problem is? The problem of the human heart. The human heart which elevates itself and its interest above the interest of others. Joy in Jesus is never found when we put ourselves above Christ or others in our lives. Disunity is a problem of the heart and it hurts deeply. Paul would point out in Scripture... And I love the passage. And look at this in Philippians chapter 2. He would say this in verse 4. That you and I are to to look out not only for our own interest, he writes, but also to the interest of others. Now how do we do that? Well, back in verse 3 it says this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I love that statement because you know what? We don't see that statement played out a whole lot in today's world. And we don't see that statement played out a whole lot. We don't see this equation played out a lot of times in the church. You ready? When selfishness or vain conceit or what that literally means, empty glory, when they come into play, there is no relationship that we have that is safe. Paul teaches us this. Selfishness elevates me above all else, whereas humility elevates Christ and others above me in my life. You ready? And I want to throw out a caveat, a warning real quick. The equation, we greater than me, doesn't mean being bullied around. It doesn't mean being mistreated. It doesn't mean that we let people take advantage of us. It means that in our relationships and in our church, where we can, as far as it depends on us, we put the needs of others in front of our own, and we come together in Christ. It's Romans 12, 18. That if it is possible, Paul writes, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now hear me, church, that doesn't mean there aren't battles we need to be fighting. That doesn't mean that we must cave or compromise. It means we care for one another and we work to carry on together in the work that Christ has called us to, taking the gospel to every man, woman, boy, and girl. But you know what also we realize? We know this to be true. Not everyone will reciprocate. Such love, togetherness, and the unity we seek. They won't reciprocate always back to us. Can I tell you something, church? Offer it anyway. 
leave it out on the table anyway for the taking. You can only control you. You you cannot control what others do or what others decide about you. But you know what you can do at the end of the day? You can labor for unity, recognizing that we is is greater than just me. Let me ask you this question. Can you imagine how many marriages would be saved if both spouses committed to doing nothing out of selfish ambition, if both spouses humbled themselves, looked out for the interest of the other, not just their own, and realized that we is greater than just me? How many marriages could have been saved? Hey, can you imagine how many friendships would be salvaged if this equation was put into play? How many working relationships would be rescued if we put into practice this equation? Hey, can you imagine how many churches would have been spared the trauma of splitting or closing their doors if they would have employed these two equations at some point in the life of their church? In God's economy, we is always greater than me. I I was thinking back some memories with my dad. And uh, I'll never forget my second grade year. And uh, it was time for field day, which, by the way, wasn't that the highlight of every year, field day? I mean, I loved it. I was signed up for many things, but the, the last thing I was to run was something called the sponge bucket relay race. And it's as terrible as it sounds. Um, I don't exactly remember how all of it played out, but I was the last person in that leg in my class. And so what they had were they had these buckets full of water and sponges, and they were lined throughout the course, and you ran to one point out in the field and back, and you would pick up and grab water in your sponge, and you would do it to every bucket, and then you would come back. And I was the last part of that, that race, and so I did it. Well, what's amazing is, is I had new kicks, Right? For the field day. Brand new. Every time I ran up to a bucket, my feet shot out from underneath me as I tried to stop. And I'm not just talking about one bucket or two buckets. Every single bucket. And you know what's amazing? After the second and third bucket, I heard everybody laughing every time I got to one. In second grade, I'm going to tell you, that's pretty devastating, Right? Life is over at that point. My dad was there cheering me on. He was there at every field day. And man, I got done. I finally crossed the finish line. You know what happened at the finish line? I slipped again. Fell right on my hind end again. Nobody helped me up. But dad was there. And he came over and he picked me up. And I was in tears. I was so embarrassed. Dad, just take me home. Just take me can't, Dad, just take me home. He said, Anthony, I want you to listen to me. I am so proud of you. And I thought, were you watching another race? I, were you at the, you at the tug of war or something? Thought I was in. I'm so proud of you. I said, Dad. How? He said, you finished, son. Every time you fell down, you got up. And you finished. You know what my dad did the rest of the day? He walked with me everywhere I went. And I realized in my relationship with my daddy that day that we was greater than just me.
that if my dad was with me, nobody laughed at me. If my dad was with me, I could finish any race. That if my dad was with me, no matter how many times I'd fallen, he was there. And he'd find reasons to be proud of me. If you had a dad in life, a good dad, you know the power of we is greater than me. Even if you didn't have an earthly father, one look to your heavenly father. And we are reminded that we is greater than just me. I was reminded this week of a, a speech I had read, and I'm a history guy. Back on June 16, 1858 in Springfield, Illinois, Abraham Lincoln then was vying for presidency and was giving a speech. The speech was focused on slave states and free states. And Abraham Lincoln, the abolitionist that he was, was advocating that you can't have both free and slave states in this union, and it survived. And he had a famous line in there that you studied in school. A house divided cannot what? Cannot stand. And you know, that's a pretty good line in the speech. But all Abe plagiarized that from the Bible. I think back to Mark and other parts of the gospel. But in Mark chapter 3, verse 25, remember what Jesus said. He says, and if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And I want to share with you that a relationship divided will never stand. A people divided will never stand. A church divided will never stand. A community divided, a country divided will never stand. And that is why the greatest hope we have to stand together is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which gives birth to unity in Christ and unity one with another. Remember, God does not deal in division with His church, but works with multiplication. But multiplication only happens against the backdrop of unity. I think about the unity that Paul speaks of here in Philippians 2. And I think that such unity is the only hope to heal our hearts, our churches, our community, and our country. And I guess the question, church, I have for you is this, what part are you willing to play in such unity? What equations are you willing to work out and to live out in your life? Are we willing to lay down our presuppositions, our prejudices, our preferences, and our pride, arm ourselves with the gospel, and work towards unity in the body of Christ and in our relationships one with another? I really hate math. But I also really pray that day in and day out, that I'd live out this equation that Jesus is greater than me. Because when my vertical relationship with Jesus is strong, every other relationship in my life is all the stronger. I hate math. But I really hope I can live out that we is greater than me in my life. And I guess the question for us is, are we willing to live those equations out in each of our lives? Philippians chapter 2, 
Therefore, church, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete, Paul writes, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Again, for checking out our podcast, be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.